Good morning, everyone. All right, there we go. Um, from Psalm 13, it says this. Have you ever felt this way? It says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and of sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? And, and perhaps you're feeling that way today. Um, the, the struggles, the stress, the pain, uh, the, the chaos and confusion that's happening around us, and maybe even the trials that you're going through in your own family, in your own life. And, and I want you to think of one word today. As, as David in that psalm is crying out to God and he's saying, God, it almost feels like you've forgotten me or you've forsaken me. And he is really questioning, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? He had one word I want you to focus on, and the word, one word is hope. Now, he had a hope that is different than what this world offers. This world offers a wish fulfillment, cross your fingers and really hope that this is going to happen. But the hope that God offers us in Christ is a confident expectation. It's a full assurance. In, in fact, when you think of hope, it's about certainty. It's about confidence. It's centered and rooted in Christ, and it's nurtured in community. And that, that's what real hope is, biblical hope is. And so what I want you to think about is this. As David was able to cry out, and the psalmist were able to cry out to God and give their complaints to God and their struggles to God, they knew that there was a God who cared about them, heard their prayers, and was listening to them. And then they were able to turn because of confidence in knowing that God. I want you to know that God this morning. I want you to hear him. He says, uh, consider and answer me, O God. And he says, at the end of the psalm, watch what he says. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I want you to see that, that he went from the struggles and the, and the difficulties and the trials, and he's saying, God, it's almost like you've forgotten me or you've forsaken me. But then he reminded himself of the person that he worshipped. He reminded himself of the promises, and he made a purpose of his own life that he was going to worship and honor that God. So I, I pray that that would be what we do today. Hope. Confident expectation because of Christ nurtured in community. So it's so good to have you here with us this morning. There's so many people that are going through so many struggles today. I encourage you to look at the prayer uh, requests that come out on Sunday mornings and come out during the week. If you are not getting those email requests, make sure you go out to the Welcome Center. Just give us your name. We'll put you on the email list. I can tell you that throughout the week, the other thing I can tell you is this. We as elders get multiple texts from each other, and we are praying for this community of believers. Um, we want to try to nurture you through giving you the word, but we also have nurtured you through prayer. Um, some prayers that you know about, prayer requests that you know about, and others you don't, we are praying for you as well. So I just want you to know that. Let us pray this morning. Father, this world lacks hope. This world lacks assurance. This world lacks certainty. Father, as I was just listening to the news this morning, Russia looks like it's going to invade the Ukraine. 
Um, Father, we pulled out of Afghanistan. We have division in the United States, Father, political divisions, viewpoints, and some of those differing viewpoints have infiltrated even the church, and there seems to be such a lack of unity, such a lack of hope. And Father, there is a despair that is heavy upon us, and then people are worried about COVID and, and cancer and, and the confusion and the chaos of life. And Father, our, our congregation has been hit with so many things. Uh, Father, as we look down the prayer request, uh, it's painful. It really is. And Father, sometimes it could feel like you are, you've forgotten us and can sometimes even feel like you have forsaken us. I, I do thank you for Christ. Father, I pray for the Clefman family, the Char family, Father, as they are going through their time of loss with less. Lord, I pray for the Cabela family as they are dealing with Tom right now as well. Father, I thank you that Gail is doing better. Um, Father, I pray that you would continue to work in her life. Um, Father, for Ralph and Kathy, Father, thank you that they're improving. Thank you that Ralph's here this morning. I pray for Diana Kelly and uh, the continued struggles that she's enduring, Father. I pray that you would comfort her with your grace. Father, for the myriad of prayer requests that I can't go through this morning, and even the ones I don't know, I pray that you'd be a God who comforts them. And even when they are feeling alone, and when they are feeling a lack of hope, Father, I pray that you would continue to show your hope to them through your steadfast love, through your word, bringing them back to the gospel. So this morning, Father, as we, as we open the service, I pray that you would help us to center on hope, a confident expectation centered on your son, nurtured in community. I pray that we could do that through singing. I pray that we would do that through the preach word as Pastor Doug comes and preaches to us today. And I pray that we would go out of here nourished, encouraged, and hope. And I pray that we would go out of here reflecting you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God who never fails will not fail me. 
never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names, that nothing can stand
so I'll walk upon salvation Your spirit alive in me It's love to declare your promise My soul now to stand So what can I say can I do but offer this heart oh God completely to you so what can I say and what can I do
Lord, when you were here on earth, you didn't even have to be in the presence of people and you could heal them miles away. Lord, when you died on the cross for us, three days later, you had the power to come alive again. You're a powerful, powerful God. Help our faith to grow deeper and deeper. Your love for us is so wide and so deep, so long, we can't even comprehend it. Lord, help us when our faith is weak. Help us when our hearts are sad and, and we're feeling down. Just like David, Lord, help us to then look to you. Help us not to get, get all cumbered up with all the cares of the world. Lord, help us to look to you, to stare at you, not the problems, Lord. You're a great God, a loving God, a forgiving God. You're faithful. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. You're an amazing God. Help us, Lord. Help us to humble ourselves and keep our eyes on you and watch you work. Thank you that you are the light of the world. We need light. It has seemed dark, Lord. You are the light and help us to be lights representing you. We love you, Lord. Bless Pastor Doug as he comes and preaches, Lord. Give him the words you'd have him to say. Holy Spirit, work powerfully in this room this morning and throughout the world. Keep working, Lord. We love you in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Uh, I've been kind of out of the loop here for a couple weeks myself. Um, so between COVID, my wife and I had gotten COVID back about four or five weeks, five weeks ago now, I guess. I don't know. And then some previous preaching engagements I had made for last week and the week before that, the weather was bad. So, man, I feel like I'm almost a visitor. Um, but anyway, it's really, really good to be back with you. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to be looking together at verses uh, 1 through 14 in our time together today. Um, Oh, it, there is junior church. Okay, yeah. So there is junior church. So junior church folks, you can go right now. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder. So I pulled up an old slide from um, about 27 years ago. Can you believe that? Um, so out trying to mow the lawn and one of my boys wanted to be out there with me. So obviously I was going to give him a fake one, not a real one. Uh, th there's, th there's something about a desire of a young child to imitate their parents, isn't there? Yes. And, um, and so I, 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 just, I couldn't help but think of this slide as we come to the text that we're looking at today. One of the things you're going to find over the next two weeks, I'm going to talk to you about um, our walk. And, and, and next week, we'll look at a, a wise walk. This week, 
walking in love and purity or, or walking in, in uh, love and light, but, but whatever. But the overarching concept there comes out in chapter 5, verse 1, where the text says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Um, James had preached last week through uh, the end of chapter 4. And, and here in the, uh, to just kind of work our way through it, in the first two verses, what he's going to argue is he wants us to imitate God our Father and Christ our Lord by walking and talking in love so as to please him. So he starts out by saying, therefore, which takes us back to the previous section, be imitators of God as beloved children. And in the last section, one of the things he said when it comes to walking in love is, with our words and with our deeds, we want to communicate the fact that of kindness and forgiveness toward others. Remember that? I, um, on this whole issue of forgiveness, I couldn't help but think recently, my, uh, my two young granddaughters, the one's about three-ish and the other one's pushing on two. But you know what happens. I've got a couple girls of my own. When they were really young, they fought all the time. Uh, am, am I right? You don't have to admit it. Uh, but I'm just, saying, I'm just saying. But when they get out of high school, for whatever reason, God in his good grace, they end up becoming best of friends. So parents, there is hope if you're in that situation. I'm just saying. But anyway, little Harper and Sophie, um, the, the, Matt and Jill have been trying to teach them about the importance of asking for forgiveness and so forth. And so after they've had one of their altercations, um, Sophie came up to Harper, and she kind of put her head on Harper's side, and she said, Shall we, Harper? You know. And Harper answered back, You're welcome, Sophie. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you should say it exactly like that, okay? But, but, but they kind of get the idea, don't they? That, that, that there's been an offense, someone makes a confession, and there's a promise of, of, toward reconciliation. And, and one of the things he says to us when it comes to this whole issue of love is, I want you to be just like your father. And when you think of our father, God the Father, um, that, 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 that passage in Matthew 18, which we're all familiar with, right? Where the, where the servant owed the master, remember, 10,000 talents. Can I translate that into our day? That's like a gazillion dollars, okay? It's more than you could possibly imagine. And the offense between one servant and the other servant was about a third of a year's salary. Now, if I borrowed a third of a year's salary from you and never paid it back, would it hurt? You better believe it would hurt. <laughs> I don't know if I'd make it. But what Matthew 18 does is, without ever minimizing the offense that one person has against us, it doesn't, does it? It's a third of a year's salary. It does something much better. It compares and contrasts it to a gazillion dollars. Do you see? And the more we are overwhelmed with the fact that we are loved of God who has forgiven us and made us his children... When, when that just kind of seeps into your part soul, things begin to change. And you're able to move toward people who owe you a third of a year's salary differently. 
Do you see? So he says, look, when it comes to the walk that, and the talk that God wants for you, I want you to be people of love. I want you to be a chip off the old block. I want you to be just like your dad. Love, be kind, forgive as he has done. And then he uses Christ as an example there in verse 2. Look at what he says. And walk in love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, folks, stay with me. Tim is going to be speaking here in two weeks on the passage between husbands and wives. And, and this concept is going to be unpacked in even greater detail in relationship to the husband. But now he makes application to all of us. Do you see? And he says, I want you to think about Jesus. Because Jesus has loved us in a way that we will never love anybody else because he has come and he has paid the ultimate price. And folks, watch this. It was an offering and a sacrifice ultimately directed to God for the benefit of us that pleased the Father. Do, do, do you see that? And what he says is, Think about how much God has loved us in making us his children and forgiven us. Think about that when you treat one another. And think about our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given it all at great sacrifice so that the Father would say, I'm pleased. You know, it's really interesting, these concepts that are used here of offering and sacrifice and fragrant aroma are used elsewhere in the New Testament to talk about what we do in our relationship with God. And so when you and I, with all of our challenges and all of our difficulties, as the Spirit of God is at work in our heart, where we actually do step out and we sacrifice for someone else, ultimately in worship to God, our Father says, I'm pleased. Do you see? The Father is our model. Jesus Christ, the Son, is our model. And the more we think about what they have done for us, the more it softens our hearts and it empowers us to be people who live differently in this world. Folks, I have to tell you something. If I wasn't a Christian, I would have lost my greatest motivation for really loving others. And it doesn't mean that lost people don't love their children or their mates. They do. But the greatest of all motivations has been removed from the entire process. And this text says, you are loved of God. Look at what he's done for you. Look at the example Christ has done. What you need to do is, by God's grace, step in and say, God, let me love. Ne never to that extent. I'll never love as much as you have. But help it to become a greater reality in my life. What difference would that make in our church? In our families? In our communities? It would be something where you say, wow, I mean, I, you, you can't deny it. 
walk in love, the text says. But where I want to spend the bulk of our time, because it's where the text spends the bulk of the time, is in verses 3 to 14. Not only should we imitate God, our Father, by walking and talking uh, in love, but we should walk and talk in the light so as to please him. I want you to watch something here. Think about something. If I've just got done talking to you and saying, look, 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 we ought to be people who love. Would the very next thing that you're thinking about be purity? I mean, you might just say, how about tolerance? Or I don't know, all kinds of things. But the beauty of the gospel was love and purity are brought together because they're not mutually exclusive. They're not different. They're bound up together. I don't love if purity isn't central. And true purity is motivated out of love. It, it all fits together. Does that make sense? Do you think our culture has any challenges in the area of sexual immorality? Maybe a little? Or is it per pervasive? You think of the ready access of pornography in our day. It's, 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 it's tragic. You, you think of the kind of sexual abuse that goes on. There's a movie coming out. I don't know when. It's, it's on the story of Tim Ballard. Have you heard about this? Is it something freedom? Some, something freedom, whatever. But it's, it's a story of this guy who actually, he goes into some of these other countries and rescues young girls. Who are, who are caught up in the whole sex trade and all that's junk, all that absolute garbage. I don't know when it comes out, but you ought to go watch it. I, I, I'm, I'm waiting. It's supposed to come out anytime, like in the next month. I'm looking. We, that's our world, folks. I just, I just saw something on one of the news feeds, and, and, I, and I'm not going to watch it. I'm, I'm, well, I, I don't plan to watch it. But, but, but apparently somebody now is going to be doing a whole expose of the kinds of things that happened in, in Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion over the years. As if it should surprise anybody, right? But the, the drug abuse and the sexual abuse and just all the junk. We, we, we live in a world that is saturated with perversity. So what do we do? Like, how, how do we come after all that? A culture that is completely confused on the issue of sexuality. As it goes its own way. And what happens is people become caught up in this. And it's a tragic thing. Look at what he says. I want you to notice basically three movements of this text. Verses 3 to 6. He's going to say, rather than living a life of self-centered sexual impurity, live a life of submissive thankfulness to God. And I want to explain it because this is fascinating. I was thinking about this this week, and I saw some things that just hadn't really thought about before. I, I, it's the beauty of just meditating on God's word. Look at what he says. I love it. Look at what he says. But among you, I, actually, I've got two... <laughs> Uh, I'm going to read from the ESV. I have the NIV and the ESV up here. I shouldn't do this, but sometimes I like to go back and forth. I'm going to just do the ESV. Okay, here we go. Anyway, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness 
must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. He says, when people think of your family, when they think of your church, what comes to their mind? Do people say, wow, man, it's reputed over there that all kinds of stuff is going on. Happens, doesn't it? You think of the various churches in our, in our day that have just brought a terrible reputation to the name of Christ. And Paul is pleading with the Ephesians and saying, look, these issues of sexual immorality, of sexual uncleanness, that is all motivated out of a heart of greed and covetousness. People shouldn't be able to look at you and say that there's even the reputation of that. It shouldn't even be named among you. Isn't it interesting how covetousness and greed is connected to sexual immorality and sexual uncleanness? Should it surprise us? It shouldn't. Because at the end of the day, what happens is, if in my heart of hearts, it's all about what I want, regardless of what God says, and I would rather worship my desire than the true and living God, that can then manifest itself in all kinds of sexual activity, which is inappropriate. Isn't that true? God has this beautiful design within the context of marriage. I always, always kind of liken sexuality in marriage to, to a fire in a fireplace on, the, on a winter's night. Isn't it great to have a fireplace going? It's warm and it's wonderful. What happens if the curtain catches? Not a good thing. Not a good thing, right? Fire in its place is wonderful. But if it gets caught outside of that, it only brings devastation, pain, and destruction. So the text says, look, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, people shouldn't come, come in here and, and they should just say, these people are different. They're all about a love which is generated from a heart that loves God, that cares about people rather than using and abusing people. Do you see the difference? Sexual immorality, sexual uncleanness, greed, all those things. But it's not just what we do, it's also what we say. Which is why he goes on to say, um, no crude joking, foolish talk, or filthy language should be coming out of our mouths. It's interesting that last term, crude joking, is sometimes used outside of the New Testament for people who are witty. And, and it's not necessarily negative. It's some, just sometimes like saying, well, that was witty, the way they took that statement and just kind of turned it. And you know people like that. You make a statement and they, they can kind of take it and turn it. And <laughs> it's kind of funny. And Paul says, witty is one thing. But when witty is used to talk about things that are crude and rude and obscene shouldn't even be named among us. 
People shouldn't come in. And, I mean, and haven't we all gotten caught up in conversations where we're laughing and having a good time? And you always got to be careful. I love joking. You know what I mean? I love joking. Like, but you got to be really careful because there can always come this point in which you slip into something where you say, like, I should not have said that. You, you know what I'm saying? And he says, look, don't even let it be named among you. What you do, what you say, but rather, this is the thing that really struck me as strange when I was thinking about it. But rather, what should be named among us? Let there be thanksgiving named among us. You know what people should think of when they think of us and our church? Man, do those guys and gals, do they just want to thank God for everything? But I was thinking, what's that relationship? And I want you to think about this. Do you remember in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and Satan came and began tempting them? He tempted them by saying, you know, Eve, God is keeping something from you that you deserve and that you need. He's not good. And he was saying, don't be thankful for the things that God has given you. Reach out for something beyond that. Covet it. Go for it. And this text says, rather than living a life that's marked by those kinds of activities, from the inside out, be men and women who say, God is good. God is for us in Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for the gifts that you've given me. I won't reach outside of what you've given me. Do you see the difference? Hearts that are all about the wonder that God is good and for us. And we're just living a life saying, God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. How then do you come upon some sexual temptation? Hey, you ought to start trying to, in your mind at least, going after that woman or thinking about this or, or, or following that desire of your heart or whatever it is. They don't work together, do they? But a heart that is set on God and saying, God, you're good. You're for me. I'm thankful. That makes all the difference in the world, folks. So Paul says, put that stuff off. We should be reputed for being people who are lost in God and his goodness and thank him in the process. Isn't that wonderful? And convicting and powerful all at the same time. What he does in verses up five and six then is he gives a reason for what he's talking about. And this is, this is strong language, but look what he says. For, see the word for there, he's giving a reason for all this. You may be sure of this. In other words, don't miss this one. This is absolutely true. I'm going to tell you two things. That everyone who is sexually immoral, and he goes back to the same three things that he's mentioned back in verse 3. Mentions them again, but now as actual individuals. But everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do you ever find yourself, I do, flipping open my phone and 
you know, maybe I'm checking the latest news or flipping on my computer. Doesn't that drive you crazy? All those stupid advertisements. Like, I didn't get that. Uh, anyway, that's a whole nother one. But, 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 but you read different things and different stories. Or you watch a TV program or whatever it is, whatever it is. And isn't it easy sometimes just to be thinking to yourself, it's, it's not that bad. You know? Oh, I, I know not, it's not exactly what God wants, but, but the world's not so bad. You know what I'm saying? It's easier for that, stu that stuff just to kind of influence. And Paul says, I want to be clear on this. There, there are two ways to live. There are people who live as if there is no God. And there are those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ who live different lives. And you may sometimes look at that lifestyle over there and say, well, it's not so bad. I think we need to be, uh, you know, give in a little bit more or whatever. Paul says, do you realize something? Those folks will never experience the wonder of God in his kingdom. They're under the wrath of God. Why would you want to step into that? Paul says it makes no sense. Look, Paul, and he uses strong words here in the Greek. He says, look, you need to really realize this. I'm not kidding, Paul says. This is true. Recognize where those folks are. Don't think no biggie. It's a biggie. Which is why Paul says also over in 1 Corinthians 6. Let me just read it. It's a familiar text. 1 Corinthians 6, verse, I think it's verse 11. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, look at what he says. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul's making the same argument. Why would you choose to live that way? Those people that live that way are on a crash course to hell. And he goes on to say this. And that is what some of you were. But you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know? Doug Finkbeiner, when he was born, and as a young boy, young man, this is where I lived until I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And with all my struggles and all my weaknesses, and we all have them, I get it, I get it. Like, this isn't easy stuff, I get it. With all of those things, God's spirit is actively in work saying, don't live out who you are not. I am not living there anymore. If you know Jesus Christ, you are people of the light. You're not people of the darkness. So he says, live in light of who you are. And that should change everything, folks. Paul says, Let's be known as the pure people of God in our lives and in our words because that's not who we are anymore. We're different folks. And if I continue to live my life this way over an extended period of time, 
Maybe I've never come to know Christ to start with, right? And yes, at some point that's worth, and, and I understand you don't jump there too quickly. I get it, I get it. But really, folks, God wants us to be different people. Very quickly, I'm watching my time here, verses 7 to 10. Rather than following those living in darkness, live as children of the light. Look at what he says. Again, he does this contrast, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Wow. This is packed. Now, let me, let me be clear on some things. He's not saying that you can't have any lost friends in this passage. Right? Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5? He says, um, like, if you didn't have any association with the lost, you'd have to, like, go out of the world because, like, you couldn't talk to anybody. Now, that, I mean, it's, that's, that's not, not the point. But here's, here's what he is saying. I should not have such an intimate relationship with a person that now I'm allowing their lifestyle to influence my lifestyle when their lifestyle is contrary to what God wants. Do you see the difference? It's one thing for me to be with lost people, but I'm always thinking when I'm with lost people, how can I live Christ before this person? I love this person, all true, but how can I live Christ? Because that's the most important thing. And at the point at which that's not the most important thing, their approval is the most important thing, and I start becoming like them in my lifestyle, I've gone over the edge. D do you see? Doesn't mean you can't know them and be friends with them. But you cannot partner with them to the level where you start living as they live in a way that's contrary to what God says. That's the point. Because I don't live there anymore. You are people of light. Oh, I want you to notice this. This is fascinating. How do people of light live? Look at the fruit. The fruit of light is goodness, rightness, and truth. Now, folks, think about this. This is so powerful. Goodness is about how I seek to benefit you. Rightness is standing before God in such a way that God says, that's what I want. And truth is the whole way in which I relate to you where I'm not deceiving you, I'm not manipulating you. It's the truth. Contrast that with sexual perversity. Where at the end of the day, rather than doing that which is good for you, I do that which uses you for my own purposes. Do you see that? And I don't stand right before God. And what I want to do is I want to do things in secret where nobody knows what I'm doing anyway. Truth, Mark Twain used to say, one of the nice things about truth is, if you tell the truth, you don't have to worry about what you've been saying. <laughs> right? It's true. But we should be people that can come and look at one another and say, here it is. 
This is what's going on. It, it doesn't mean I've got some closet that I hide stuff in that you never, don't you go in my closet. That is my closet. Oh no, oh no. Truth is all about all the doors are open. And there I am. People of the light are about rightness, goodness, and truth. That's how it manifests itself. And what we're doing in the entire process is always asking ourselves, what will please Jesus? What if we really live that way consistently? Where I'd get up in the morning, and when that temptation comes, whatever it is, at whatever time of the day, I'm always saying, God, I'm not in the darkness, I'm in the light. I don't always live in the light, but I'm in the light. Potentially through your spirit, I can really live this out, okay? And Lord, I want to live in such a way that you are pleased as I ultimately do things which are good for others and I don't have anything to hide. I am. It's what integrity is, isn't it? Integrity says I don't have anything to hide. It's right there. And what, what, what if we live that way? And I'm always asking myself, and God, will this please you? Is this what you want? Then that's what I'm going to do. Well, folks, in all areas of our life, that will make such a difference. He ends in verses 11 through 14 with this last contrast. Rather than practicing the works of darkness, expose them and give hope of transformation in Jesus Christ. This is, this is really good stuff. He's just talked to me about, in verse 7, how I should relate to the lost, to lost people. And I've got to watch my relationship. Doesn't mean I'm not with them. I just got to be careful. Here, he talks about what should be in my relationship with those actual ungodly practices. Okay? Not so much the people, but those practices. And look what he says. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, if, if in reading that you said, that's perfectly clear to me, um, then I'm really impressed because that is not so clear when you read it, is it? You go like, I think it's good, but I'm not sure what it all means. Good. I, I, I understand. I felt the same way. But he starts out by saying, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So you're seeking to live this life where when those opportunities come up and you're through the God's spirit, as you're discerning what the Lord wants you to do, you say, nope, not going to do that one. And at the end of the day, it doesn't produce true fruit, does it? It's ultimately unfruitful. Well, unless you want to talk about all the devastation. But as far as something productive, there's nothing productive in a life of sin. Do, do, do you realize that? Nothing. 
that which produces good and righteousness and truth is all bound up in God. So he says, take no part in it, but instead I want you to expose it. Now, does this mean I should get up on my soapbox? Um, and uh, I, I, when, when, I was, when I was a student at the University of Penn, we sometimes would have some folks that would come in. And, and I love the fact that they were trying to do um, street evangelism. I, I have no problem with street evangelism, okay? People are, some people are gifted in it and do it really, really well. But sometimes people would almost kind of get up on their soapboxes. And they would just say things like, you're all gone to hell because you don't know, you know, and something. And, and I think to myself, hmm. Not that God can't use that because God has used that in people's lives, right? So I get that. But I'm not sure that that's the way that God's calling all of us to expose things. You know what's really interesting about the exposure here? It comes from a heart that has already been humbled by God. Do you realize that? It's somebody who has come out of darkness. They are now in the light. They are forgiven by God. Christ is their Lord. The Spirit lives within them. They are completely overwhelmed and thankful to God for what he's done. Recognizing it is not them, but it is him. And when they meet up with folks, and someone says, hey, let's do this. And they say, no, 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 I can't do that. What's the matter? Are you a holy roller? No, no, no not exactly. Um, I, I wish it was more of a holy roller, actually. I'm in process. But I want to expose something to you. Where will that ultimately lead you? Well, I'm sleeping around with my girlfriend right now, and after her, another one. Mm -hmm. And then what? And then where's it all go? It always goes to destruction, folks. And we don't expose out of pride and uh, in a demeaning way hearts that have been humbled by the grace of God in our own lives. And we just tell people, this is bad. It hurts you. I love you too much not to say anything. Does that make sense? And so we expose in such a way that maybe for the first time in their lives, they can begin to see my way and the way I'm living is only going to destroy. I'm completely out of relationship with God. And what I love about this text is it doesn't just mean we expose the sin. We also give them the hope they have, can have in the gospel. So he says, it's shameful to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light and all of a sudden for the first time people go, like you've had this experience. You know, we all have the crawl spaces in our homes, you know, where you haven't been to in a long time. And you go in there sometime in the dark and you put the flashlight on and what happens? You go like, holy mackerel. What is that growth in there? <laughs> What's that black stuff? You know, three dead mice or whatever. Right? 
I mean, that's what light does. So he says, will you let God use you in such a way that when you, when you move toward people, you don't move in pride. You move in humility. But you move truly. And you click on the light. And God's spirit works in their heart. And for the first time in their lives, they say, I'm in trouble. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Where, where will this take me? When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. The only way of getting rid of whatever that junk is, is by first seeing it. This leads people to repentance. But he doesn't stop there. He uh, quotes from two passages in Isaiah, it seems. And there's debate whether, I won't get into all the debates of it, whether this is a Christian hymn or whatever. But he's looking at two passages in, in Isaiah. And he puts them together and shows their fulfillment ultimately in Jesus. And he says this. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know what I love about that? When you've exposed, when God's used you to expose the sinfulness, the destruction of, of, of someone's lifestyle, and they begin to say, I am undone. The light has shined on me. I see it. Then you give them hope, don't you? Wake up. Come back from the grave, dead person. Christ will shine on you. There's hope. We don't expose people to leave them there. We, Christianity is not a cancel culture. A cancer culture looks at certain people and ostracizes them and says, they're, they're done. It may feel like it sometimes to people. We don't expose people to ostracize and isolate them. We expose people so they come to Jesus. And they can be my brother and sister in Jesus Christ. That's how it works. Do you see how it all ties together? If you and I get just caught up in that lifestyle, whatever it is, and in this case, he's talking about the sexual issue because you're probably aware of this. The sexual perversion in the first century was pervasive. The kind of stuff that Paul is facing when he goes to these pagan cities is off the charts where Slave girls are going to just be used for whatever that master wants. And Paul's going to cut right into that area. And he's going to say, don't you dare if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you've got men who will look for young boys and mistreat them. And Paul will cut into that culture and say, don't you dare if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are hurting them. Or someone says, well, I want to just indulge in homosexual practices. No, it was never God's intention. And again and again and again, we live, that was his culture. Sounds like ours a little bit, doesn't it? And we expose, not out of pride, not to manipulate and control and damn people to hell, but that they might come to the light and fall down before Jesus Christ 
and he shines in their heart, and they say, I want him as my Lord and Savior. And it comes not merely by my words. It comes through him. But it comes out of a life from the inside out that is being transformed by God. Do you see? So in closing, imitate, imitating God in love and, and purity. I guess I would say it like this, that little bold area there. As a Christian, live out loud in love and in the light so as to please God and to experience his gracious design for your life. Somebody who lives this way will never get to the end of their life and say like, oh, what a bummer I did it that way. Will they? No. But many come to the end of their life with deep-seated regrets. This text calls us to be people who live differently. So here's my question, and then I'm going to pray. Well, I may make a couple comments after the question, but largely, okay. Where does God want to grow you in your life of love? Is it in being kind and forgiving? In sacrificing for others as an act of Christ-like worship to God? Will you take just a moment and ask the Spirit of God to bring faces to those questions? Is there a family member where I say, I cannot love that person? An extended family member, a church member, a neighbor. could be a whole host of things. Will you turn that into a prayer request? So that this doesn't just become words on a page of Scripture but something that the Spirit of God wants to actually do in your life from the inside out. And secondly, where does God want to grow you in your life of purity? In walking in sexual purity out of a, out of a heart of submissive thankfulness. How, where, where are you and where does he, what step does he want you to take to move toward that? Where does God want to grow you in pure talk that humbly exposes the darkness and passionately offers the hope of light in Christ alone? Can you think of faces, people that come to mind when you hear those questions? I'm going to close in prayer, but I'm going to wait about a minute. And I'd ask you to do me a favor. I'd ask you to pray by yourself and ask God to give faces to these questions. And ask God's spirit to work in your life in such a way that you think, what is the next step in making that a greater reality? It, it may be for you that you say, you know, I've never gotten involved with any of these uh, small group, men, men's small groups around here, but I've heard about them but I need some other men around me to hold me accountable. Maybe that's your move. I don't know. Maybe it's pulling aside a child who you've deeply offended and saying, honey, will you forgive dad for what he's done to you? Maybe it's a church member. Maybe it's coming and talking to a good friend and saying, 
I've been watching that pornography on my phone and on my computer, and I can't break loose and I need help. Maybe that's your step. I don't know what your step is. What I do know, folks, is this. God wants to move us from where we are to where he wants us to be by the power of his spirit because we know him through Jesus Christ, his son. That's what I know. So I'm gonna, we're gonna pray. And will you pray yourself first? And I, I'm gonna time it, one minute. So I'm here, I haven't forgotten. And at one minute, I'll close this in prayer. Okay, let's pray. Father, these are hard things. Who of us have loved the way Christ has loved? The way you have loved? Father, who of us walk in the light before a God who is light? These are impossible apart from your enabling work through your spirit. Father, for those that know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as their Lord and Savior, will you do the work in their lives that will, will motivate them to take that next step, whatever it might be? Lord, so we will never be perfect, but we will be progressing in our walk of love and light. Lord, the world around us desperately needs Jesus Christ. Help us not to be haughty and proud and manipulative, but humbly be one beggar who tells another beggar where we have found bread. And then use us, Lord, in exposing to evangelize and in evangelizing to see you work and we get to be part of it. Again, Father, thank you for your word. Make it a greater reality in our lives. In Christ's name I pray.
lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will. Count on one thing, the same God that never fails. you for this time. Go with us. Help us to be shining lights for you this week. If there's things that we're struggling with, Lord, help us to trust you to help us to defeat whatever those weak things are in our lives. You're able to make us victorious. Help us to desire more than anything else to live a life pleasing in your eyes. Go with us now, we pray in your name. Amen.